Persuade. Cause someone to believe something through reason and argument, not by authority, force, or fear. Persuasive people win others over with a kind of soft influence. They are saying, join me, work with me, choose my idea, date me, follow my movement. But they say it in a way that makes you feel like it's the most obvious choice in the world. Think of Steve Jobs convincing us to adopt technology that to many seemed outlandish or unnecessary. Or Teddy Roosevelt convincing in a very riveting speech Americans to embrace an idea of civic service. It seems effortless, but this ability to win people over is a skill that they studied and practiced and perfected over time. And this is good news. Powers of persuasion are not something you're born with. They are something you build. And a great way to do that is to study the habits, the tactics of very persuasive people. So let's get into it. Travel back with me to 5th century ancient Greece. In this democratic society, a citizen could be called upon to represent himself in a court of law. And here he would have to convince his peers to take his side or support his idea. So the ability to speak persuasively was a highly sought after skill. And rhetoric, the art of persuasive speaking, was born. Fortunately for us, we have the foundational text on rhetoric, courtesy of Aristotle, and in it he outlines the three modes of persuasion which every good argument contains. So rather than just tell you the modes of persuasion, which I will, don't worry, but to make them stick and have a more lasting impact in your own persuasive quest, I'm going to align it with this speech by Teddy Roosevelt. It's a stunning speech. It is known as the man in the arena speech. So we're going to go through each mode of persuasion and I'll give you an example of how he used it in the speech. That way it sticks in your head as we go through these modes. Here is a powerful and now famous section of Theodore Roosevelt's man in the arena speech given in 1910. It is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. And it goes on. It's a riveting speech. And we're going to look at it in the light of Ethos, pathos, and logos, which are the three modes of persuasion. So let's begin with ethos, which is the ethical appeal. If you want to be more persuasive, you need to establish your credibility. And this is giving people a reason that they should listen to you. Because the way you are perceived will affect how likely people are to trust you. So even if you have all the best points and arguments in the world, that only comes after 
people have decided they're going to listen to you. So in this speech, obviously, Teddy Roosevelt is a former president, so he carries a lot of ethos with him, but he doesn't just write on his past successes. He makes an effort to weave ethos into this speech. He bolsters his credibility by reminding his audience of his time in the military because this is a call to action speech. It's a fighting, you know, get up and do something action inducing speech. So he reminds his audience of his time in the military and also as his time as commander in chief. He is reminding his audience that he's not standing on the sidelines. And he even has this quote where he says, we are all in this great struggle together and therefore we are all in each other's keeping. So he's weaving in ethos throughout the speech and you probably don't have huge credentials to fall back on, presidential credentials, but you are able to highlight why your audience should listen to you. So whether that's your experience or your upbringing, whatever it is, I'll cover some more ways to do so when we get into the 10 habits of persuasive people. But just remember, ethos is essential. It's the first step in getting people to even turn their ears to you. Now, the second mode of persuasion is pathos. And this is the appeal to the audience's emotions because we know the way an audience feels will affect their judgment. And I know I'm using the phrase audience, but this can be a group of people or it can just be one person, whoever you're trying to persuade or convince. So you don't have to picture yourself giving a speech to a huge crowd. It could be you speaking to your boss or a team member or a friend or whoever it may be that you want to persuade. The reason that this is so important is because if your speech is lacking in pathos, it won't strike a chord with the audience. It won't be memorable. And Aristotle even writes that a persuasive speaker must understand the emotions. He says that is to name them and describe them, to know their causes and the way in which they are excited. So persuasive people understand what causes trigger what emotions, and they can use that to influence the way they speak to their audience. One great example of pathos in the Man in the Arena speech is imagery. Roosevelt uses the image of the man in the arena, and he says his face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And this is a sticky picture in our minds. It arouses an admiration for the ideals that the fighter embodies. Yes, Roosevelt could have said, we need more discipline. This, our country's success depends on it. But that wouldn't have stirred the crowd the way this image of a man fighting, getting back up, being battered really does. We remember it over 100 years later. All right, the third mode of persuasion is logos. And this is the appeal to reason. This will provide the logical structure of your message. Sound arguments follow rules of logic. And your audience will pick up on the symmetry and the clarity of a strong argument. So when you think of logos, you might think of stats or 
data and this is one option, but there are actually a lot of ways to incorporate logos like showing a causal relationship and citing examples from the past, which is something that Roosevelt does in this speech. His goal is to convince the audience of the benefits of being engaged and active in civic life. So he lays out the causal relationship between individuals engaging in that strenuous life. And then he explains the positive impact that this has, not only on personal character, but also on the health of a nation. So now you have the three modes of persuasion, ethos, pathos, and logos. And you've seen them at work in a speech, but persuasion is not reserved just for presidents. You can be persuasive as well. And that's why I have a list of 10 tactics of highly persuasive people. So if you're ready to put these modes of persuasion to use, let's get into it. Habit number one of persuasive people, they set a North Star, have a goal, and they are focused on it. So think of your speech or your message and distill it down to one sentence. This is your goal. This is what you want whoever's listening to get from it. And then use this guide or use this goal as a guide as you speak. This also has the benefit of brevity because keeping things focused on one central point will naturally keep your message contained and it's more memorable when it doesn't drone on for a long time. So Embrace that North Star and use that to guide you. The second thing persuasive people do really well is they build trust. This goes back to ethos, building your trust and your credibility. And you know that people are more likely to be persuaded by you when they look at you as credible. So Aristotle wrote, character may almost be called the most effective means of persuasion. This is because if people don't trust you, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you say next. If you want to build your credibility, you need to start by understanding what values matter to your audience. Then come up with pieces of evidence that showcase how you embody this value. If you were speaking to investors and you wanted them to fund your startup, then you would talk about your past successes, or the hours of research and development that you've put into this specific field. Now, say you find yourself in a position where you don't feel like you have ethos. That's okay. You can build it or borrow it. And what I mean by this is you can take an action that will enhance your credibility and then bring this into the view of your audience. For instance, I saw a video the other day on YouTube and the title was, I read 40 books on money. This is everything you need to know. And it was very catchy and attention drawing because this woman had obviously spent a lot of time reading about money. So she was not saying I'm a financial planner or I went to school for this. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But she was using her action her time investment in reading all those books to build her credibility. The big takeaway here is 
you can be creative with your ethos. You can build it, you can borrow it, you don't have to just list your academic degrees or your resume. All right, on to the third thing that persuasive people do, and that is they have a deep understanding of emotions. Now, we talked about pathos appealing to the emotions of your audience, and we know it's important, but it can be easier than it sounds because emotions are unpredictable, and persuasive people know that they need to understand what causes emotions in order to evoke the correct ones. So once you understand what you want to evoke, then you can use tools like stories, like personal anecdotes, historical stories, or even language, vivid language that resonates emotionally to create a stronger connection with your audience. The fourth thing that persuasive people do is they present logical arguments. Now, this isn't the sexiest topic, logic. (laughs) I would say pathos is probably more fun, but logic is very important because it gives that structure and substance to support your claims. So you do want to appeal to reason and intellect, making these well-organized arguments I'm currently taking a rhetoric course and we're learning about the five parts of a well-structured argument. You don't technically need all five or you don't need to know the Greek names of them, but you do need to have a structure to your argument. So an opening, your main point, and then a supporting piece of evidence for that point. You want to have some sort of structure that gives you the confidence to support your argument. So look at data, look at historical examples, look at stories that have cause and effect relationships. You can find examples of logos in a lot of areas, but you want to make sure that when you are arguing something, you're not only relying on what you already know. You do want to look outside yourself and build up more of that logical structure to become more convincing. All right, the fifth thing that persuasive people know how to do is understand their audience. They tailor their message to suit the beliefs and values of their specific audience. So going back to our funding example, say you want funding for your startup, the way that you're going to appeal to a board of investors is going to be different to how you would appeal to friends and family who you want to invest. Your goal in both conversations is the same, but the values of the audience, the things that they care about are different. So you will have to understand that wherever you go, wherever you speak. Now, the next tactic of persuasive people is probably one you use without even realizing it, and that is using rhetorical devices. Rhetorical devices are ways of making your communication more engaging and memorable. If you use things like metaphors, similes, analogies, um, alliteration, these are all things that will help your message stick in your listener's mind. There are lots of rhetorical devices at your disposal, and I'll link a link in the show notes below if you want to look at more rhetorical devices. 
As you learn what they are, you'll start to hear them in other people's speech and be able to use them more effectively in your own. Okay, the next thing we have is counter arguments. Persuasive people address the objections to their arguments before someone else does. This is especially helpful when you know you have a weakness or something that people are going to call you out on. A great example of this is Queen Elizabeth when she had to face the constant criticism of being a female leader and in the battle, the battle before the English defeated the Spanish Armada, she has this rousing speech to the troops and she says, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king. So she's beautifully addressing the counter argument of people who said she couldn't lead because she was a woman. She's doing it in a way that is eloquent and persuasive. So you can do the same when you know that there are certain things people might call you out on, whether it's fair or unfair. You can be more persuasive by bringing up that counter argument and responding to it then and there. Tip number seven, persuasive people show instead of tell. This is tied to pathos, but it's about utilizing descriptive and vivid language to paint a picture, a clear, compelling picture that will engage someone's imagination. So like we talked about in the man in the arena example, don't tell me that I need to be engaged with my country. Instead, show me that man who has been beaten and bruised, who's gone through so much and is still getting up and fighting again because I can relate to that man and I will remember that man. Even though I never saw him, you just told me about him. That's how powerful the use of imagery can be and that's why it's something that persuasive people know how to utilize. Another thing they know how to use is the pause. They understand the power of a good old-fashioned beat or two of silence. So whether they're making a point or they're answering a question, they will leave a pause that's palpable enough that people notice, and then they want to hear what the person has to say next. Now, a pause in itself won't make you persuasive, but it is something that many persuasive people utilize because they realize that holding the audience's attention is important and they are confident enough to leave a little bit of empty space. So if you're afraid of pausing or you just realize that you talk so fast that you, you're not taking breaths and you go, 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 introduce the pause into your life, make friends with it and see how much more people lean in to listen when you do use it. The next tip is a bit hard to put into words, but it's this quality that persuasive people have that I like to call soft influence. In short, it's the belief they know that they are not forcing anyone to do anything. They cannot force someone to change the way they think, but they are using the modes of persuasion to gently guide them to a new way of thinking. So whether it's a fiery, passionate speaker or a soft-spoken, gentle persuader, they are using 
modes of persuasion, not force, in order to win people over to their way of thinking. And the cherry on top, persuasive people listen. They don't just nod along and act like they're hearing. They actively listen and have a genuine interest in what their audience is saying back to them. And speaking of hearing from an audience, I would love to hear your thoughts, feedback, episode ideas, whatever your heart desires to tell me. So you can reach me on X at Hey Celeste Renee, or you can go to betterwaytosay.com and leave me feedback there. I look forward to hearing from you and I will catch you on the next episode of A Better Way to Say.